you're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Thank you. Uh, you found your way back. Al Martin here, Making Data Simple podcast. Hope you're healthy and life is treating you well. Uh, I think we all need to keep perspective from time to time. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is uh, from Winston Churchill when he said, when I look back at all these worries, I remember the story of the old man that said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which never happened. Uh, so that's certainly a, a good lesson for me. But in keeping with perspective, I have one of the most positive folks that I know of on the call today, one that I can definitely consider a friend in Tracy Bollett. Uh, she is the Vice President of Enterprise Performance Management at IBM and has a ton of experience in a number of different areas, but you know she's done everything from support to development manager to program manager, all the way up to now you see her at, at, at Vice President. So she's got a lot uh, of experience. Tracy, welcome. Where have you been? Where have you been all my life? <laughs> I I have been so close to you, Al, but you haven't seen me because I've been using all of the technology that you've built over the last several years. So I've gone, but not gone too far. But you left me a data and AI. Why would you do that? <laughs> because I have the most exciting job in the world right now. And I'm using your data and AI for the purposes of IBM internally. So it's pretty cool. And what is that job? So what we do is we're taking... Um, we're taking all of this data that we have across our legacy systems in IBM. So think of IBM, it's, you know, 100 years of data and information, uh, thousands of acquisitions, data across, you know, revenue and um, offering information and sales information and marketing information. We're taking all this information, pulling it into one place, standardizing it to, make, to then be able to get insights on how we can use that information across the um, across the company. So once you start connecting your information across all these disparate systems, you get some really cool insight, and then you can put AI on top of it. So we are climbing the AI ladder as we speak with IBM's information. So all this rhetoric that I give out to the, the, the poor listeners on a regular basis, data and AI, collect, um, organize, analyze, infuse, you are eating our own cooking and putting it into you know the role that you call enterprise performance manager. I presume that you're collecting the data, doing everything on the ladder to AI, and then using that to help drive IBM performance. Exactly right. So Tracy, for those of you listening, Tracy is a two-timer. She's in the two-timer club. She's, uh, I think you were like on our second podcast at the time we were talking about cognitive client care. Well, hey, hang on, hang on. I'm a three-timer. You are three because I also. I also joined you with Bob McDonald talking about how we transformed support. Yes, you did. Three timer. So that's, you're going to, I think four or five, you get a jacket or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's like the Saturday Night Live. You get a jacket or something. I don't know. We got to figure that out. Liam, Liam, who is the uh, producer. We, we got to figure out what our threshold for the Making Data Simple podcast jacket is. So I know you, you know, if anybody knows Tracy, we may have talked about this in past podcasts. She comes up with a lot of ideas and her eureka moments 
usually start with an ooh, and then you got this idea that comes out. It's like, oh, she's got something coming. And then either I'm like, oh my God, what is she talking about? Or I'm like, that is pretty freaking cool. And usually it's both. So uh, what game changers have you been conjuring up lately? I know you got to have some, something in your back pocket here. So, um, so what we've been doing is, as I mentioned, we've been collecting all this data, analyzing it, providing new insights. That's a tough job, right? Because what we're finding out is that um, people and culture sometimes will prevent you from being able to connect all this data in the way that you want. So working through all that has been pretty, um, pretty. Uh, 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 I don't want to say intimidating, but it's been it's been a challenge, right? So getting people to accept how you actually tie the data together and how you can make decisions from it, it's been a challenge. It really has. So the cool part about all of this is we're 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 delivering it now. We, we're delivering a view sitting on Ginny's mobile device right now that um, shows IBM's performance information. So think revenue, cost, expense. Um, contract information, sales information, uh, information about our clients, all sitting on her mobile phone that she can open up and look at at a moment's notice. So um, that is a big transformation. But the cool part is we're now starting to standardize that information so we can integrate it even more. And when we do that, we'll put insights on top with AI. And that's where you get the eureka moments of new information that you get because you're able to tie the information together in an easily consumable format to take action on. So I use a lot of buzzwords, but that's what we're doing and it makes a big difference. What is harder, the people and culture piece or the technology itself? Mm, people and culture. Technology is not so bad. So so the, the great thing about what we're doing is we're using all of IBM's technologies. So DB2 Warehouse on Cloud or IBM Public Cloud, um, we're using Cognos. We have those skills in IBM, right? So we have all those skills for the technology we're using the technology in new and different ways. So we're driving new product requirements and we're working really well with the teams to get those new products um, enhancements there. But the thing that's been the biggest challenge is the people and culture. Um, thinking about the data in different ways, understanding how to tie the data together and then having people understand that it may not give you exactly the same numbers as you had before, but it's really close. And by being able to tie it together, you can get new insights. So if you don't take this leap now, you're never going to. So it's that people and culture is really the biggest challenge here. So, you know, we're, we're, we're always talking technology. I'm sitting here thinking maybe we should be talking about uh, or have a team or a SWAT team or a center of excellence that's tackling people and culture to, to help clients because you're going through it internal to IBM and we're the ones that, that are, that, that preach the technology, but we have our, you know, just like any company, all companies, let's be honest, have culture and people and, 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 you know, that, um, have a set way of doing things and you're transforming that set way. It's gotta be a, an ongoing challenge. What do you suggest? What do we need to do there? You know, I do think that's a good idea. I think, um, uh, we and, and the problem is you can touch and feel technology, right? So it's something you can figure out. You can do milestones and you can say, I, I want this particular function to work in this way in the next 30 days. You touch it and feel it and you can make it happen. With the people and culture, it's not a touch and feel kind of thing. It's really a, hey, we want to get to this end goal. And to do that, we need to change the data in this way. 
Do you agree? And, and it's getting that agreement and getting them to see the bigger picture. Now, what's neat about what's happening today versus, I don't know, we've tried this before 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. What's different today is there's a lot more people who are willing to make the change. So I think we're, we're evolving from a culture of, I don't want to listen, I don't want to change, and so therefore, too bad. We're getting to it, yeah, I know what I know I need to do this, but I don't know exactly what I need to do, and it's change. So we're starting to get more acceptance of it, but that's where proof of concepts and showing data and really showing, okay, this is how it's going to look in the future and getting people comfortable with it is really what, what has to happen. So I think a team of people and culture is, is good, uh, armed with data and proof of concepts that show that, you know what, we're asking for a change, but it's really not that big of a change. So just go with them. What's the fear? I mean, what's the uh, what get it, what what's the number one, two, or three things that get in the way when it talks to people and culture and being able to make this transformation that we're on across the what we call the ladder to AI? It's, it's people. People have been using data for years now, right? It's how they're measured in performance. It's how they go and try to find out patterns and by themselves and try to make changes. So it's that people have this data. They know it. They rely on it. They depend on it getting it delivered in the ways they've always had because it's something they they trust and they know. So the fear is changing that, giving a new tool with something that may not be exactly like they've been using for the last 20 years or 10 years or five years and getting them comfortable with that change. Um, I think there's so much relying on our data today that the, the fear that it may be different and maybe it's not in a good way, that's the fear, that maybe it's going to be in a, in a not good way. Maybe it's going to cause me to not be able to have a job. Maybe it's going to affect my performance in my job because it's it's different. That's the kind of fear that we're running into that I think can easily be um, overcome just by, again, looking at proof of concepts and looking at how the data changes and, and getting people to be willing to take that leap. Is it a, is it a matter of trust? And when I say trust, uh, I would imagine you know, there's a lot of folks, once you know your source of information, over time, you become very good at what that is and what it isn't. I mean, it may be even uncleansed data or data that, um, you know, needs to be uh, refined, whatever. But point being is they know that data. They know that it's at least their one source of the truth. They can talk to it. They can take action from it. And their world's being changed. They don't know quite what to trust anymore. You got it. You're exactly right. It's, it's putting a new set of information that they have to regain their trust on. You've got it. And that's hard. Well, I think it is hard. I mean, what I'm finding, and, and one thing you'll see, you know, when I do pitches and, and other peers do pitches with our AI technology, I think we've got a lot of that trust issues going on, meaning, you know, all of a sudden we, we say that, the, you know, AI is not magic. And the reason we're going on with this rhetoric is because, um, you know, there's once you get the information and AI's throwing a, the results of a model out there and you look at it and, you know, it's, it's like, but you don't, if you don't know how the model was arrived at, uh, you know, there's things in the background such as bias and, and other things and, and bad data. So you could be making bad decisions that you're sitting there going, well, I don't know if I trust it now. So do I take the next step or not? And, that, you know, that's a big investment. You know, you're changing people and culture. And so what we've done as a result, which I'm pretty proud of uh, on the products that I drive, like for OpenScale, is, you know, we're, we're, we're pushing explainability and 
bias detection. In other words, we're really opening up that to say, you know, here's how the decision was made. Because you're right, I think there's a lack of trust with so much going on, and you know, you're, you're transforming your your entire infrastructure. Boy, sometimes it just feels like, well, I knew what I was getting before. Why did we do this? You know. Right, right, it, it, exactly. Now, I have to be honest. We're not in the AI part of our journey yet. We're still back in the cleansing data and getting data to, to use the same standards so you can connect the data together. Um, that is a journey in itself. That has been a long, long trial to get to the point where we have data that conforms to the same standards, is cleansed, and is ready then to apply AI to it. Um, I really think highly of those those groups and teams that are able to take cleanse data and are at the point where they're applying AI to it. We're not there yet. We're still just trying to get it all conforming and cleansed and in the right, the right format so it can actually um, be connected together so AI can do its job. I think that's probably fair. What you're talking to is the 80-20 rule. In other words, 80% is spent just really cleaning data. But here's what I would say. And I preach that same rule. That's why we preach no... Um, AI without IA, and you're in the IA part, got it. Uh, but I do think, and we'll have to work together on this, that having said all that, there's always you know, some a source of data that we could start right today and, and help develop a, a model that you could start you know, evolving from, at least in, in a partial set of your data. So you can get started today in a subset of your data while you still do your, your cleaning and everything you're talking about. So we're gonna have to get together and uh, expedite that on, on that side. So what technology are you using uh, in the data and I portfolio? You talked about data warehouse on cloud, you talked about Cognos, what else? Um, uh, cloud object storage we're using, we're running this, um, we're doing the, using the Spark framework to ingest our jobs. Uh, we're using Cognos Analytics and using with 11.1 some of the new capabilities that we have with AI with Cognos Analytics. We've used um, uh, some of the Watson products for some early POCs. So we have done with AI, we have um, taken a set of data, um, a, a small number of offerings, for example, to see what the trend was um, and what we could predict based on the, the past performance. So we've done small POCs like that. Um, but we still have more work to do. So what, what have you learned along this process? You, before you were supporting these products, you know, taking calls from customers. Now you're kind of the customer yourself. So, so how does that feel? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's an interesting one. That's really interesting. So, um, so remember uh, what I would do is work with our biggest customers, work on support, work with the development teams and if you remember, I led the documentation teams for a while. And what I'm learning is that we need to improve our documentation. Our documentation is great from an admin kind of purpose, from a, but there's a new set of usage that we have um, with being an end user customer that, you know, frankly, we got to do a better job doing end user documentation. So that's something that I'm working with Greg Adams and Alvin and the Cognos team on helping to uh, create documentation for our internal end users that we can then um, repurpose and use externally as well, because I think we have some work to do there. And I was pretty confident our documentation was fantastic when I was running the team. But now as an end user, I look at it and say, yep, there's probably work we can do. And and we're helping, we're helping, the, we're working together with Cognos on that. But isn't, um, you know, I, I'm going to ask you kind of a, a rhetorical question here, but 
Isn't documentation a thing of the past? Yes and no. Um, so, so no matter how intuitive or easy you make your products, um, it's, it's, a, it's a balance between how custom do you want to be able to, how much do you want to be able to customize things and how easy do you want it to be? And so what we're trying to do with DB2RS on Cloud and Cognos is we're driving a lot of customization and very unique things um, that aren't always really intuitive from the documentation perspective. Um, they really aren't. So um, because Cognos can do so much, because DB2RS on Cloud can do so much, um, to do some niche things, uh, we really, yeah, we're, we're having to enter new territory. And part of it is we're using the products in a different way. So understanding that new usage and then driving how do you make that most easy to our end customers is really key. And we're kind of learning as we go. Did your, uh, so fair enough, I got it. Did your client ex support experience help you in your new role? Very much, every day. So so the one thing that client support gives you is it it you're always dealing with whatever the fire of the day is. So something broke. And especially when you're executive, the reason why you get pulled in is to go fix it because something broke. Um, so, you know, you see that in everyday life, right? You're always seeing whatever the panic is of the day, how you calm people down, you look at it very carefully and just start figuring out, okay, what changed, what's different. And that's all things, you know, a process that you learn and support that, you know, frankly, I use all the time in my own personal life too. So how did, how did you make the transition? You know, you were an executive in support, supporting our products. Now you're an executive uh, in building products. Was this an easy transition or was there anything that caught you by surprise? Any keys to success in making that transition? Because I mean, it's a, it's a, I've done the same thing in the past, of course, but it's a pretty big, uh, pretty big move. Well, I, I think, change. yeah, so, so I had, um, in my previous jobs, I had worked as a developer. I had worked as a development manager. Um, I had worked in, um, you know, building products, but building products for other people to use and then actually using those products are two different things. So that was the biggest surprise to me was not necessarily, I got, I, you know, I got the process of how you build something, right? Um, in product development, we do that all the time. Um, what I what I didn't have the experience of or the or the kind of understand the nuances of is actually using that product to build something for us to use internally. That was a little bit different, and um, and that's something that I have to you know give a shout out to my boss Ed Lovely for. He's been doing that for years, building internal deployments, and all those nuances around you know making sure it's it's truly. 24 by 7, making sure that it has all the security concerns locked and, and making sure that you don't do anything to break it and it truly is running 24 7. Um, and all the things that go around that, um, that's a whole process in itself. And when you're building something new, it takes a while to develop all that infrastructure. And that's something that he's been great at kind of making sure that we're checking all the boxes and we've got everything covered so the thing works all the time for everybody. Uh, when you're dealing with, you know, building kind of the legacy on-prem stuff that I had had experience with, you don't necessarily get that. We're getting it a lot more in, in DevOps with, um, I think, our DB2 Warehouse and Cloud team gets that all the time, too. But that one was a little new to me and um, was a good learning experience. You know, I don't think, uh, my personal opinion is I don't think support experts get their due in the industry. Because done right, it's what I've always referred to as customer-driven development. I and mean, this is a critical job. And really, 
you know, promotes the idea or the, the concept of you being an architect for the product because you got to hit so many different pieces of the product. Again, done right. I guess you could stay in your corner and, and um, you know, I know a lot of organizations and we've talked about this before practice like levels of support and you get stuck in a level or something. But those that just eradicate that and look at, you know, look, I'm an expert in, in the field and the data and, and AI field. I mean, this is a critical job. And in fact, when I came, I came from, um, you know, I spent my longest tenure in informics before I came to IBM. And if, if my guess is if there were 12 architects in development, 10 of them came straight from support. And that's because they knew the end to end uh, product. So, you know, as I've done both, it's been a pretty seamless transition and it's great to have that client view within the, um, within the, the, the development process. Like, Hey, so thank you. With that, I've got to finish on a lightning round. You know what the lightning round is, right? Uh Oh, yes, I do. But now I'm nervous. <laughs> no, can't be nervous. You're the best. <laughs> You're the best, but I'm not going to go easy on you. I can tell you that I'm going to have to think of some good questions for you. You have, have, have you been your whole career at IBM? Uh, uh, yes. Since graduating. Well, Yes, since graduating from college, plus I was an intern at IBM for a couple years in college. But I did have other part-time jobs before IBM. What What are your lasting impressions so far at IBM? I'm just curious as your view. It, IBM is an amazing company. There is no company that provides the kind of support for their customers, for their employees, quite like IBM. So I've gotten a tremendous amount of opportunities within IBM doing greatly different things. Um, but because uh, IBM is such a big company and such a great group of people to work with, uh, you can change around a lot. And there's, you know, especially after living the last couple of uh, the last year working with the products, the support is is amazing. So I think IBM is just an amazing company for supporting employees and customers. Yeah, the listeners would probably expect you to say that, but hey, you've been there 26 yeah. years. It's, 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 but that's good. Hey, look, you got to say what you mean, mean what you say. Hey, uh, how do you do it? You've got three kids. Uh, unlike me, I just went pop, pop, pop. There you go. There's my kids. And, and now I'm paying for it because they're all in the same thing at the same time, like college. Uh, but you have three spread out. How have you done it? Well, I have four spread out. Four spread and out. So I'm sorry. I do. <laughs> I I do. So, they're, so they're 22 through nine. And um, I have a, I have a stay-at-home dad, who's, um, my husband is a stay-at-home dad. It's been hugely important. I've been traveling a lot lately, so it's important to have him there. Uh, the oldest two are, um, are, it's a fun age, right? They're 22 and 19. I couldn't ask for a better age. They're, they're great. They're, my oldest just graduated from college. Um, a shout out to State Farm. He's working for State Farm um, in their IT department and as a programmer. And then my um, younger two are 12 and 9. So um, there's in They'll be going into seventh grade and fourth grade, and time flies, right? They're in the activity time where they got to go to activities every day, and um, it's 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 great for. Again, IBM's a great company to work for. They help out a lot in terms of allowing me to balance my workload and my personal life, and then having a husband who's at home has helped out tremendously. So I got to ask you this: um, nothing to do with data and AI, but. It's like you've got the, and by the way, I, I apologize about the four. I, I think, you know, I got three. I think anybody that goes beyond three must be crazy. So you fit the, you fit the mold. <laughs> I forgot. I, 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 anyway, I forgot the, uh, like 22 to nine. What did you change when, after you've learned to be the, you know, the, the two older ones with the two younger ones, you've got to have changed your, 
your approach? <laughs> I, I have actually. So um, the one thing my oldest has always heard is, you're my first. I'm sorry. I just don't know what I'm doing. What can I say? Um, by the, <laughs> by the time true. I get, say the same thing. Yeah. By the time you get to your, my nine-year-old, um, you're, much, you're much more relaxed. Everything's a phase, right? So you realize it's a stage that you're going through. So from a, you know, probably everyone would say I'm easiest on my nine-year-old, but in part that's because you start seeing that it's a phase and you start appreciating the time you have because um, it goes by so quickly. Yeah, I'm, boy, I tell you what, if there, that, that is the understatement of the, of the podcast. The time goes by so quickly. And you're right. I use the same thing with my daughter. I'll say you got to be home by 11 or whatever. And this is, you know, not, even not so long ago, she's 21 now. <laughs> I say, yeah. She goes, what are you talking about? I say, hey, you're my first. It's my excuse every time. <laughs> I don't know any better. That's what we're going with. <laughs> exactly. It's a good excuse. But it's it is a pretty, she takes it. Yeah. So have you started to become more social on Twitter and LinkedIn as we've talked about in the past? I'm getting that there. Reference early. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So um, keep watching. Uh, you'll see an increase in, in activity. I'm getting there. Okay. Advice for a young lady considering technology. Go for it. The, there's no better place than in technology. And there's so many different jobs that you will find the one that, that meets kind of what your passion is because there's just such a wide variety between data science and design and programming and IT. There's so many different areas to get into. Go for it. It's, you can find a better career path. Who has been the biggest influence on your, on your career, uh, someone not related to you? Oh, I should have known you were going to ask this one. Um, I have to say, oh, you said not related? Not related. See, that's what I always get. Oh, Maybe say both, but that makes it harder, right? <laughs> that's a hard one. That's a hard one. So I, I have to, I have to say, oh, and I'm going to probably, you know, if you don't say a name that people expect, someone's going to get hurt. But whatever the case, um, I, honestly, I would say Rob Thomas has been a big influence on me, and here's the reason why: um, the way that he leads a team and inspires them, and you know, the fail fast, recover faster helping people get the right opportunities and growing an organization and growing revenue and, and providing the business results. It's been quite impressive to watch. So um, I, I really have, he's a, he's a great leader, great mentor, and um, has kind of helped everyone see a little bit different way of, of um, how to do business. All right. I got a question that uh, I've started asking because it's a tough one. I'm going to warn you up front, uh, but I get some really I get some really interesting feedback in this one. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Oh, I'm going to have to think on this one. So Liam, you just got to, you got, you got to give me a moment to think. Yes. So let's come back to that one. All right. What's your go-to order at a fat at your favorite restaurant? Oh, Chinese. So, um, any, anything Chinese depends on the point of time of day. What, what do you wish you had known before when you had started out in this business? Um, gosh, I, I wish I would have known how much, how much, how important it was to understand how people work because people run the business, right? Technology is easy. It's the people that's the hard part. So um, I think had I spent a little bit more time, you know, working on that, those pieces when I was kind of earlier in my career, um, it would have helped out later. And it's not that I didn't focus on that. It's just that you always think it's technology, technology, technology. It's not. It's people. It's all about the people. 
What were, this is a funny one. I want, I, I'm curious about this one. What, describe yourself in high school. Oh, I was, I was, uh, okay. So, so this is a podcast <laughs> worldwide. Okay. So I'll tell you from the view of my kids, I was kind of a band nerd, right? So I was in band, I was in choir. I was a, you know, I, I studied a lot. So, so you can sing. No, I can't sing. That's the problem. I wasn't very good in choir. I said I was in choir, but I wasn't very good. I was better in band. I was good in band. I played the flute. So um, I was good in that. Yeah, my, my, again, you always see it from the side of your kids. But yeah, I can't sing. You don't want to ever hear me sing. I don't believe that. I think there's some fibbing going on at this point. No, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> what do you look forward to in your free time? Oh, spending time with the kids. Um, not going anywhere, not running around, but just hanging out, going to the pool and spending time with the kids. They're at that age where you want to talk to them and learn from them. All right. Last question. What advice would you give to your previous boss? That would be you, wouldn't it? So. <laughs> you didn't have to say it. But. Okay. So, so to be honest with you, I did struggle when you asked me um, who I learned from most. I did struggle between Rob and you because I learned a tremendous amount from you, Al. So my advice to you is, is to keep, keep doing what you're doing in terms of growing people, mentoring and growing every, your team, and um, teaching them how to think about things differently and continuing to encourage them to fail and recover faster. So that's what you, you do really, really well is mentoring and teaching people how to do things differently and giving them the space to do it differently, right? So you've been a tremendous impact to my career and to others um, and how we do, how we work day in and day out. So keep doing that because you're really, really good at it. Well, thank you. I didn't ask for that. Checks in the mail, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> but everybody leaves me. That's the problem. Well, everybody leaves. You let them leave. See, that's what makes it so good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you, you're fabulous. We always have fun when we're together. And uh, we'll hook up separate from this, uh, of course, as we always do. Thank you for taking the time to, to share uh, your tech, uh, technology experience as well as uh, a little little personal round table here with the, the listeners. I, I appreciate it. And again, I think you're, you're not only a, a great leader, but a great person. Thank you for being it here. It was fun. Thank you so much for having me. All right. For the listeners, talk to you next time. Thank you. See you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Thank you.